my time management is always on point, but I also allow for chaos. And it is a juggle, you know, it's an orchestra and I'm the conductor. The many things that I do is also a reflection of who I was as a child. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. Pet Desk is excited to announce its integration with EasyBet. If you're tired of spending hours on the phone booking appointments, processing payments, and sending reminders to your patients, then it's time to switch to Pet Desk. PetDesk is the all-in-one patient journey solution that simplifies the flow of your veterinary practice. PetDesk's suite of solutions includes online booking, VoIP services, a mobile app, workflow management tools, patient processing, and so much more. And right now, PetDesk is offering an exclusive deal for EasyVet clinics. If you purchase PetDesk by July 31st, you'll get three months free. Hurry, hurry, don't miss out on this amazing offer. Head to PetDesk dot com forward slash easy bet. Welcome back, positive leadership listeners. Today we have Shandell Maxwell on the show, and I am super excited to have you here. Thank you so hello. much, Shandell. Yay. Hello, hello. Thank you both so much. Shandell is the CEO at Bird and Maxwell Coaching Institute, and she is the current practice manager at Tustin Legacy Animal Hospital. She also has a PhD, yes, you heard me right, PhD <laughs> in leadership change. I'm yes. so excited to chat with you about this. I want you to start with who you are, how you got to be where you are today. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Now, this is a, a loaded question for me because <laughs> I am many things. But first and foremost, I'm a mother. I am a community advocate, a business coach, and I'm an educator. I use my talents and my gifts, not only in the hospital or in the business sector, but also in the community. So part of what makes me who I am is my artistic abilities. I use creativity in everything that I do. And really in the veterinary field, I'm able to utilize a lot of my creative uh, mindset when it comes to figuring out ways to figuring out solutions to challenges like diversity, equity, and inclusion. Fantastic. I love it. Yeah. I love how you started off with mom first. Yes. So many times, right? We we <laughs> we make our family suffer. We don't start with mom first. Right. So good job. I'm yeah. learning. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about what's on your nightstand. What are you reading right now? What are you listening to? What's your favorite book, podcast, CE? Something that has left a very uh, big impression or lasting effect on you? Yeah. So what's currently on my desk, to be honest, 
is uh, the California Veterinarian Magazine, <laughs> JAFMA Journal, BBM three sixty. That's why I said nightstand, not your desk. Uh, yeah, that's just for work. Right? <laughs> right. right. On my desk is how how to get rich, how to make more money, how to balance my own personal finances. You know that yeah. easy night read. But you know, for me, a book actually an, a writer that has been significant in my life um, and changing my paradigm about who I am really as a Black woman in America and to be educated is, you, you've probably never heard of him, but his name is Carter G. Woodson. And mm. he is a Black historian back in 19, the early 1930. He wrote a book called uh, The Miseducation of the Negro. Mm-hmm. And his book uh, was the first book I read when I finished my master's program at Pepperdine in management and leadership. And I wanted to learn more about black history. And so I went and found his book and it changed my mind. He talks about black folks or Negroes at the time who were educated in essentially Western education and how that education could desensitize them or de, uh, well, just essentially not educate them on black culture. So the call out that I got from the book was because I was able to obtain a degree from Pepperdine, it was my then my my responsibility to take that education back to my community mm-hmm. and to share it with others, share my education. And so I did that with my family and my family now nice. um, I have cousins who have finished their degrees, who have started businesses. Oh, wow. Um, nice. My sisters wow. have went back to school and become nurses, RNs. And so that's one book for me that mm-hmm. stays at the forefront of my mind when I think about what it means in terms of serving leadership and serving mm. my immediate community, the Black community, and then all mm. other communities. Well, yeah, amazing. Glad you got that ability to read that book and get connected. I mean, I think this kind of leads into the next question, which is DEI, which for those that don't know what that acronym stands for, and I hate buzzwords, but it's kind of a buzzword, (laughs) diversity, equity, inclusion. Right. And it's sad that it's a buzzword, right? Because it really should be a buzzword to meet, greet, assess, coach, develop individuals as individuals with their unique backgrounds that are also connected to specific communities, right? But we have kind of forgotten about that, or we do it with some definite unconscious bias. I think one of the most interesting things that I remember when I was learning about HR and stuff is thinking about large, huge companies with lots of employees doing statistics and finding yeah. that you have racial discrepancies between white folks that are hired, black folks that are hired, other folks that are not hired for different positions. And actually, you know, essentially that being a legal case of having to right. meet equal quotas and unconscious bias. So right. using DEI, not meaning to diminish its importance, but using it as just to save us the real estate of speaking. Why is DEI so important? for you, but also for us, meaning the entire veterinary leadership community to be mindful of these days. Yeah. So you kind of touched on it. And I should put this disclaimer out there. I will say words like Negro, (laughs) say things like that. Good to know. Yeah. Um, Thank you for letting us know. (laughs) You know, where the context is, is appropriate. And when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, for me, it's a journey and a realization that I had to hone in on early on in my career when I realized that there was some discrimination and and injustices that I was experiencing, especially in the workplace, I would actually look at companies who were public and go through their their quarterly meetings and go through their statistics on the population to see if they were needing Black people 
to oh, me. Oh, wow. Pro. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So that was my tactic when I applied to mm. jobs, especially in the mm-hmm. Orange County area where the, the black community is uh, 1.5%. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I've had to navigate this system for a while. So for me, I'm glad that the words exist. There's language to put to it. And so that other people can start to understand where we have these gaps and how we see others and that we can start creating solutions for it. In the veterinary field in particular, because we have this decrease in our staffing, there's such a big need to look for other people to fill those needs, those roles. And when I think of diversity, equity, and inclusion, I don't just think of race or identity. I also think skills-wise. There are a lot of nurses in human health that have transferable skills that can work in a veterinary hospital. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So it's, you know, widening our lens even more from the concept of race when we say DEI to also talent and skill. And that's why- I will piggyback on that. Ability as well. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Piggyback on that because I, I realized that when all those people got laid off from Disneyland after COVID, there were so many people. And I'll tell you what, man, Disneyland rocks it with their client and customer service there. And they had some amazing skills and same thing with baristas, right? You know, absolutely. I don't know how people get so pissed off over the wrong cup of coffee, but they do. Mm -hmm. And those Mm -hmm. baristas rock that. I thought this morning. I'm not yeah, it's crazy to me. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But I like, do feel like yeah. Order came in before this other person's order. <laughs> yeah, right. Chill out. Like don't it's all right. It. It's not an emergency. It's coffee. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm not arguing that's an emergency, but <laughs> no need to get pissed about it. Yeah, yeah. don't play with. But coffee. yeah, there's some definitely some transferable skills there that I feel like yeah we have to be a little bit more open, like you're right. saying, when it comes to filling the skill set. Right that's missing in the practice, right? We can do that if we're looking for outside of the veterinary profession for a specific skill set. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. I would like to talk to you about your personal leadership philosophy. I have heard you speak. I have um, heard and been witness to and privy to and kind of the inside scoop on how you lead in your practices. And so I'd like for you to share a little bit about your personal leadership philosophy that you use in practice and as a coach and a little bit about your consulting business and how you integrate that personal leadership philosophy within your coaching business? Absolutely. That's a great question. So when it comes to my philosophy on leadership, I am very intentional about preparing people for greatness. And it's a very individualistic approach where, you know, if I'm coaching someone one-on-one, I'm honing in on what their, their strengths are, you know? If they're an artist, most of the time I'm dealing with people who are in the closet, undercover artists. And so I play off of those skills to essentially help them realize their strength, right? Or uncover some of those areas of insecurities, right? So they can see their full self. So my philosophy is to prepare people for greatness. And with that, I also have to continue to practice what I preach and work on myself. Right. So that's where my absolutely. Yep, yeah. Right. My yep. self practices, my self care practices, some of the, the books like the emotional intelligence, things like that. Something I've practiced for now a decade and learning that it's it's an ongoing lifelong practice. Right. Amen. Yes. Amen. <laughs> you don't just get it. 
No, you <laughs> it's have not to like, continue. although I passed that test and I'm good now. Yeah. Nope. Nope. So uh, my philosophy though, comes from, I would say, observing my mother, my mother, I call her the counselor. She worked for the Los Angeles Sheriff Department for wow. uh, about 35 years. Wow. So yeah, she was a supervisor. I bet she's got some stories. Wow. Oh, oh. boy, does she has stories. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had the privilege of observing how she led her team and the compassion that she showed. And then watching those individuals turn into productive and adults who gave back to community. So Bird and Maxwell is a, a tribute really to my mother. Bird is her last name. And so she always wanted to create an organization where she could coach others and be a part of that. So early on in uh, the consulting, consulting business, she did uh, coach with me for a while. And now mm. she's just kind of in the background <laughs> cheering <laughs> me on. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Oh, that's amazing. Well, my gosh, you're a mom. Mm-hmm. then a practice manager, daughter, sister, friend, aunt, bestie, and you have a consulting business. Yeah. I mean, I thought that Andrea and I were overachievers. How the heck do you manage all this and not, how do you keep all those balls in the air and not drop stuff or feel like you're dropping stuff? Wow. You know, that is a question I get a lot and it's hard to explain it other than to say, I do really great at compartmentalizing things. So my time management is always on point, but I also allow for chaos and it is a juggle, you know, it's an orchestra and I'm the conductor, right? This is also the, the many things that I do is also a reflection of who I was as a child. During the summer, while other kids were playing, I was learning how to sew and creating a whole wardrobe for my sister. I was going door to door selling products. I was figuring out how to create a lesson plan for my my little sister so she'd be prepared for the next grade level. So what I do and the, the many things that I do is a part of who I've always been. I usually have about two to three projects that I'm working on at one time with set end dates. Um, and then I take a pause. And that pause is a, a moment for me to breathe, meditate, do something artistic, whether it's uh, I'm into digital art. I'm into photography, um, and that helps me balance out my right and left brain to bring me back to center. So there's practices that I do to help me decompress from that need to achieve, which comes from a place of survival as well and, and servant leadership. But I also you know, recognize within myself when there's times I have to say no to certain things and certain projects. I love that you said I save room for chaos. Oh, yeah. And I love that because I feel like I almost thrive in that space, right? Where everything else has to be controlled. My schedule, I'm a great multitasker, right? I, I, I have to have so much working on point all the time uh-huh. because of everything that we juggle, right? And so there's when there's chaos, I'm like, this is amazing. This is great. I love this. Because everything has to be so structured, like say Monday through Friday. Right. So on Saturday and Sunday, I'm like, let the chaos begin. Yes. We need yeah. it. Yeah. We need it. Yeah, right. It's fun. It's fun <laughs> to be in there and be like, I don't know what's gonna happen. We're just gonna find out. Exactly. Yeah. Some spontaneity and researching myself, especially through my master's program at Pepperdine, it was very behavioral based. I got to the point where I started to feel abnormal in my classes. Because I was always creative and always thinking 
way outside the box and bringing it back in, I started to look into giftedness and and what that looks like in childhood Mm -hmm. years and what that looks like as adults. And so in adults, I realized, you know, I am a gifted adult. In elementary school, I was in gifted programs. Mm-hmm. And so there is a psychological term called multipotential. That mm. means, yes, it's defined as someone who has multiple interests. Oh. Yes. And Look at you go, girl. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's fascinating. <laughs> I love to research and others and support others. So I'll also extend that to myself, right? To better understand myself. And so I've learned that my normal is to be creative. My normal is to support others. My personal uh, values are people, purpose, and vision. And so everything I do aligns to those three pillars in my life. I would love to know what your Myers-Briggs type is. Do you know it? I do. So I have (laughs) (laughs) two different. Okay. So with emotional intelligence, because there's a a Myers-Briggs that has EQ also included, I am ENFJ. Okay. And then without, I am ENTJ. Highly, highly intuitive. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, very, very cool. A thinker and and a judger, Mm -hmm. but also a filler. I'm very empathetic. Mm. And so that's where, you know, I balance out my right and left brain because Mm. I have to feel. (laughs) That's my default. But I have been conditioned and trained to think with logic. I ask because I'm an ENFJ and there's less than 2% of us in the world. Mm-hmm. And it happens to be that my bestie, Melissa Tompkins, is also <laughs> ENFJ. Oh, oh, and I tell you what, What's when I the... hear one and I get yeah. to talk to one and I like one-on-one conversation, or yeah. I should say two-on-one conversation, <laughs> I pick them out like this. And after wow. we start chatting, I'm like, oh, girls an ENFJ. I can hear um, it. I can see it. I can the, feel it. Yep. What's the archetype for that one? What's the ENFJ? What's the name of it? protagonist yeah okay Mm. yeah i can see that because some of them have the you know they have like the teacher lead or whatever like different things are so it's protagonist Mm. okay enfj yeah nice i can see that i can see so here we are the two percent i think we just found (laughs) like three of us right that were like yeah boom that's that's like awesome all of us left-handers sit at a table and we're like damn there's seven (laughs) of us right now there has to be something wrong with like the seven of us sitting here that all of us are (laughs) left-handed and there's one right-handed person that we're like you're the oddball out now right Right. some of those times you know some of those things just happen and you're like that's because like like like-minded people end up flocking together for some i'll have to text melissa and be like guess what i found another one Been Very cool. All, all right, back to it. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Since we don't do a podcast and we do a podcast, our listeners cannot see that you are a beautiful black woman Thanks. and happens to be a subject matter expert on this area of DEI. I would like for you to talk a little bit about how you share this in your space. Yeah. And I ask that because you don't just, like you were saying earlier, you don't just say focus on race or the fact that you are a woman or, you know, the financial background or, you know, whatever, you know, you also bring in like skill background and all these other things. Yeah. So I would love for you of how you kind of tie that in and give me some feedback on how you share that in your space. Absolutely. In my space, uh, let me, let me take a couple steps back. So this topic of DEI, I've been practicing how to talk about it without getting overly emotional with it for 10 years now. In 2013, I produced a film called Black Behind the Orange Curtain about Orange County, California, and the need for different people to share their experiences 
with racial discrimination, yes, and injustices. And with that film, I had uh, film screenings and the community came out and the community watched the film. And I looked around the room at different people, you know, different races, abilities. And I realized I had a huge responsibility. I brought people together to talk about a topic that was passionate to me. And I went to pursue my PhD to learn more about sociology and how to facilitate conversations around race and diversity and inclusion. So my approach with this has been with storytelling from the beginning. So when I do my talks, even when I put together, you know, content for on-demand courses, I take a storytelling approach because storytelling is one of our oldest forms of language and communication, Mm -hmm. right? And it's a way of bridging people, bridging communities. It builds empathy because as soon as we start sharing our stories, we find commonalities often and not. And it's within that commonality that we can actually begin to hear each other, especially if we're actively listening. So in the veterinary field, I take storytelling two different approaches depending on my audience. So if my audience is mostly white or non-Black, I express the need to be open to hear stories. I express the benefit in giving someone, not just you know potential staff members, but also clients, the space to share you know parts of their lives to create that connection. If I'm in a room and I'm facilitating a talk with majority people of color, I encourage them to practice sharing their stories. Because with sharing your story, you have to be able to filter out some of the emotion in order to get the message across. So the storytelling is two different forms, right? Depending on the audience I'm speaking to, but the end result is the same and teaching each other how to listen to stories and how to share stories and the benefit of that. I have a follow-up question to that. A few minutes ago at the beginning you had said that you have been practicing for 10 years now how to control your emotion when you talk about that right subject that's so passionate right to you so i want to know why why do you have to feel the need why do you practice that controlling that emotion to me i see that as a fire mm. so let it burn mm. <laughs> tell me why you say that okay so a little black history <laughs> in america a lot of times Black women in particular, stereotype to be angry, right? Yes. And so with that, depending on my audience, I have to take a different approach in how I communicate. Very interesting. Yeah. It's very very tactful. And unfortunately, you know, we're all a part of this system. So in some degree, we've been conditioned, right, to see each other in in certain ways. And so I have to be hyper aware of that when I'm trying to help in diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation. Another point to that, Andrea, is that, you know, controlling my emotion comes from also being a victim of discrimination, of being stereotyped and being oppressed. Uh You know, when I was uh, 14 years old, I was held at gunpoint by a police officer who said Mm. I was in the wrong neighborhood. Mm. And yeah. At 14 years old, trying to, you know, understand and work through that, even after being around 
police officers and sergeants, because my mother, again, worked for the sheriff's department, you know, it opened my eyes that, okay, it's deeper. There are some people who have belief based on maybe how they were raised. And that's how I made sense of that experience, that very embarrassing and scary experience. So having to, you know, throughout time, see so many black and brown people killed by police officers or people in some type of an authority figure is very taxing on my spirit, right? Yeah, yes. So that's why that's the other Mm -hmm. part of practicing how to have these conversations without getting emotional or overly, Mm -hmm. overly emotional. Because yes, to your point, that emotion is needed to some extent to help with the empathy and understanding, mm-hmm. but it takes practice. Mm. Yeah. And I have to say that I see your point through my lens of being a female mm-hmm. working in a profession that has been predominantly men right. in a position of power. Right. And I remember working at a surgical center where there was a bunch of boarded surgeons uh-huh. with very big egos. That would definitely undermine me and my authority as a practice administrator, practice manager, to the point of I made sure every day I wore pants and uh, they very tall men, six uh-huh. two, six four, six five. So I wore big, fat, huge heels, yes. like stil- not stilettos, but big, fat heels, tall heels uh-huh. and pants to make sure that I could puff out my chest and go toe to toe if I needed to right. and make myself larger to them in right. a physical stance. And those are the types of things that I think we subconsciously have to make adjustments in who we are. I have to make my voice louder to be heard in a room when I'm I'm in a room of, uh-huh. of overpowering Men. White men that right. don't mm-hmm. want to hear that I'm not a veterinarian. And mm-hmm. so therefore right. you don't matter. You mm-hmm. are not a um, a male, so you don't matter. Right. You are young, so you don't know. So I, I have realized that I act differently in mm-hmm. that sense. If right. I put into that setting, like you said, who's sitting here? It's a bunch of old white guys that are veterinarians. <laughs> you better believe I am going to have a different approach right. to a different room. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I do appreciate mm-hmm. that and see how that, you know, you don't think about how you make those adjustments. Yeah. Right. Until you've been in that situation where you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, I yep. got to change what I'm doing, what I'm saying, how I'm what do I look like? How am I? You know, what's my physical stance? What's my voice sound like? You know, pick my words carefully. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Different or, thought process or remove yourself from the room. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so that that has been part of my journey, too, is I'm not going to push myself to be accepted in a room that I'm not accepted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I will be authentically who I am because I've compromised who I was for a long time just because I didn't know until I educated yeah. myself. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we often can learn a lot from mistakes and it's a great way, especially on this podcast, for us to get really tangible very quickly. So we often ask this question or these questions around the subject matters that our guests are experts in. And the reason why we do it is because you can get so quick to like ask about mistakes and then very quickly turn it into what can we do better. So Shandell, what are a couple of common mistakes that you know that we do uh, have seen others make, maybe you make them yourself, but um, also have seen others do with regards to DEI, leadership in DEI, all of the facets, all of the recruiting, talent, coaching, all the different things with, with regards to DEI. And then we can talk a little bit about what we can do better. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'll start with leadership. 
Um, and that's with we're talking in, inside of a practice with leaders. I think it's really important to understand what type of leader you are, like really research, give yourself permission to explore what type of leader you are and then make adjustments. If you aspire to be a, a certain type of leader, make adjustments to do that. Either that's working with a coach or doing assessments, like be intentional about it. For example, I know I'm a transformational leader. So when I walk into any room, I know that there are people and situations that I can influence. So I, I take responsibility over that, right? And so I think that's the first thing that owners, leaders in a practice can do is really explore leadership styles and determine what type of leader you are or want to be and practice it. Make it transparent to your team and say, I want to move towards being a leader that is situational based and I want to be more trans transformational. And that way, maybe there's some grace from the team as that leader starts to practice. But it will also inspire the team as well to become more curious about their own leadership styles. And and in in the right practice, you want your team members to be empowered. You want them to have an understanding of who they are as leaders and as people, because they represent you out in the community as well, right? So I think that's a a first step in terms of leadership. I see some leaders aspire to lead, but not knowing what that really means. Either they're replicating what they saw, maybe their parents do, or they're replicating what they saw on TV growing up, or something they read in a book, you know, without real guidance, you know. So that's a, a common mistake and a uh, a route that leaders can take. When it comes to DEI, like I was saying earlier, it's not purely looking at it as what I'll start with hiring. You know, it's not purely looking at, you know, hey, we're majority white at this clinic. Maybe we should hire a couple Hispanic people. It's 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 a no. <laughs> It's looking at, okay, what do we need in terms of skill set in the hospital? And then who's represented in the community that comes to our hospital? If you have clientele that, you know, through your research, you're seeing they speak a second language, whether it be, you know, of Asian descent, Korean, Vietnamese. If you're seeing diversity in your clientele, then I think you should also be intentional about hiring people who can interact with your clientele. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very intentional about knowing who a hospital serves before I work with them because I want to know who's coming in, right? I'm intentional about learning how to say how to say hello and thank you in those languages that are in those communities. So when the clients do come in and I see that they do speak a second language, I will practice with them and say hello and thank you. You know, People appreciate that humanized uh, approach, right? They're, they're being seen. So again, with the DEI approach, with hiring at least, get to know who your community is and hire intentionally to meet the needs of your community. And that will also support the, the staffing that you need, I think. Um, I don't think, I know. <laughs> from experience, from right? Experience, exactly. From experience. Yeah. yeah. Chandel, there's a great point. And I love that you gave us an example. Can you give us one or two really good habits that we can practice in addition to what you just gave us that we can start doing tomorrow? Yeah. 
So in terms of the leadership aspect, it's taking time to research some books that talk about leadership styles, books, assessments. And, you know, Andrea, we talked earlier about the Myers-Briggs. Yeah. That's a good starting point. Yeah. I love knowing who we are and what we bring to the table as leaders and then who your team is and how they receive that. Because an ENFJ is going to do something that, you know, whatever, somebody else is not going to appreciate or hear, understand or respect. And so we understand who we are and bring that to the table, knowing full well that someone in our team, our clients, right, whoever it may be, is absorbing us, taking us differently or, or hears things or absorbs things differently. We have to be respectful of that. So yeah, I, I, I'm a huge fan of knowing who you are and what you bring to the table and who your team is and how they receive that. Right. That's the starting point. Just start there. If you can look up the Myers-Briggs, there's free personality types for the Myers-Briggs online and start to understand. Yeah. Personality Perfect is a great one that I found online. That's free. It's quick. It's easy. It's not the full, obviously, comprehensive Myers-Briggs, but it'll give you a good, quick and dirty, quick who you are. I love it. And then, of course, you can reach out to me if you want to go over some more of the leadership aspect Absolutely. Um, and identifying who you are as a leader. When it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and trying to decide how to, what is your approach to incorporating some of the practices in your hospital, the first step you can do is take a look at your staff. Who's in your staff right now? If you want to start recognizing the diversity in your staff, have an international dish day where everybody brings a food, a cuisine that is from their culture. How fun. What a great idea. Yeah. That leads to stories. That leads to storytelling. So you can start there. And then as you get comfortable with understanding who your staff members are, some of them are hiding a lot about who they are. Then the next step would be to look at your community, look at the clients that you serve. How can you also show them that they are seen? I love it. Shandell, can you share one Mm -hmm. piece of advice with our listeners? Maybe a piece of advice that you would give your younger self, should your younger self listen? Because I know I wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, piece of advice for my younger self? Right, that's a hard one. Yes, don't worry. Mm, Interesting. Don't worry, just keep going. Okay, so you have been in practice. You, I can't imagine, you have to have some great stories here. This is my favorite part. So I would love to hear from you. Our, you can't make this shit up story where okay. something just made you like jaw dropping eyes pop out of your head and just go like, no way. I can't believe it. This just <laughs> happened. So tell me, tell me what that is. Oh man. So at personal, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened is how I met my godfather. So my godfather, I met him in 2005 when I was recording an album. So I was pursuing a music career at that time. And the producer had his grandfather come over and record a song with us. And the song is called Past to Present. And so here's this, you know, late 70s year old man, and he's singing operatically in a tenor voice. And I was just amazed because both of my grandparents are both passed away. So I was just like, this is so cool. Your grandfather's like singing with us and everything. And so fast forward to 2013, I, you know, found my voice, an advocate, a community advocate with creating 
my film, Black Behind the Orange Curtain, and recognizing who I am and who I was at the time as a Black woman in, in Orange County. And with the film, I felt the need to look for a mentor, someone who could help me navigate, you know, what I was feeling and experiencing because I was really putting my, my, my foot out there because during those times, even though it was just 10 years ago, diversity, equity, and inclusion was not, you know, a mainstream thing. It was risky to talk about race, especially in the community that I lived in. So as I was, you know, looking for, and um, I'm a spiritual person, so I was just praying to God, can you lead me to someone who can help me uh, understand who I am as a leader in the community? 2015 came and a magazine had my now godfather, but the producer's grandfather on the cover. Yes. And the magazine read that he was a civil rights leader from back in the 1960s. Wow. I'm starting to get goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. Sheesh. My jaw dropped. Dropped. I was like, I need to find him. I need to locate him. I need him to tell me what I'm doing. How do I do more of it? And so I sought him out for, what, 10 years through the producer. We were, wow. it, was, it was hit and miss. You know, I said, wow. you know, give me your grandfather. Is your grandfather still alive? Like, can you give me his right. information? And it was just hit and miss. He would, I'll give it to you. I'll send it to you. Never came, never came. Finally, in 2020, I got his phone number. And when I called him, he said, oh, is this Sunkissed? Because that was my, my music name. Oh, cute. <laughs> and we talked for hours. I shared with him, um, you know, the, the work that I've been doing in the community. And I was able to ask him questions about what it means to do civil rights work in modern times and what it meant mm -hmm. for him. And so we were able to connect past the present, just like the song we wrote together. Wow. Yes. And so he Very is, cool. has been my oh. mentor since 2020. And we talk every Sunday and wow. he's very alert, very smart, very bright. And he was honored with a doctorate in uh, 2021 wow. when I earned my PhD degrees. So we both became doctors at the same time as well. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that's very cool. cool. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So at this point in the show, we're going to go into the rapid fire. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. My most epic failure hasn't happened yet, but it will be if I don't push out my mobile artist lounge. Tell me about your proudest moment. Proudest moment is when I became a mom. Why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession? Outside of the kittens and puppies. <laughs> Self-care. How do you practice it? How do you decompress? 
I decompress through art. I'm into digital art. I do photography. I create music and I practice meditation. I practice prayer, practice cleansing my home. So those are some things that I do. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? I wouldn't say I experience work guilt, but I do get bored if I sit still too long. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or cause you anxiety in your business, your job, your role? Motherhood. The end. (laughs) And what gets you up in that bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? Being able to provide for my family. What color best describes you and why? The color blue best describes me because it's bold and it's beautiful. And if you could be any animal, what would it be and why? I would be a bluebird because bluebirds represents transformation and change. Awesome. Oh, Shandell, it was so great to have you on. Fabulous. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. (laughs) I had a lot of fun. So where can our listeners reach out to you and find out more about you? Sure. So um, you can reach out to me through my website at birdmaxwell.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at Bird and Maxwell. Either way, uh, you can reach out to me on either platform. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much for coming by and have a great weekend. You too. Thank you both. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.